Hi everyone. If you want to get lit with us, then the next book that we're going to be reading is Harlem Shuffle by Colson Whitehead. So put that in your eyes or ears, however you want to do it. And as always, support your local libraries and bookstores. If you want to also support this podcast, uh, you can leave us a review or you can send an episode to a friend, family, or enemy, however uh, you like to do things, but that would be super appreciated. Also, an update for this episode, I am actually not in it. So you will get to hear the sultry sounds of Andy and a special guest that we have for you. So I will let them take it away and hope you guys enjoy. Are you doing anything else this weekend, or like? Because I know you said that you had stuff tomorrow, or or that you maybe make tomorrow work. So I wasn't sure if you. Yeah, had, like, it's mostly of... like, I I'm at that wonderful time in my life where I'm like, well, who's going to watch my children while I podcast? <laughs> Which is an amazing <laughs> sentence. Like, what an irresponsible, dirtbag yeah. thing to have to say. But the answer right now is my mother-in-law is watching my oldest, and my wife is watching my youngest, and and tomorrow mm. we'll flip, and I'll deal with it, and that's fine. Mm. Uh, nice, nice. But, you know, it's important, obviously, to keep your podcasting parenting priorities in sync at all times. You want, you want to make sure that you've got a firm podcasting yeah, family life balance, so you right. don't want to get too skewed to the family that's side. Right. Yeah, of that's course. Right. Um, my, my daughter actually gets very frustrated when she's not home when I guest on a podcast because she, she says she likes listening to them, or at least the part that she can hear. Yeah. She's like two rooms away from where I record. But I think what she really means is that she likes that she gets to hear bad words. <laughs> and and for a six year old a bad word can be like suck. Is yeah. A bad yes. word. So there there is a running scale as yeah, far as that yeah. goes. And it's it's a d it's a much deeper bench than it might be for an adult. Um well, Whereas I'm living in like row houses in Pittsburgh, so I'm always worried that like the people behind me are gonna start hearing me talk about oh I don't know dogs with mechanical voice boxes or something like that completely out of context. And it's, it's like fine. it could be totally anything. Totally fine, you know. Like that's but that's part of the uh, the social contract of living in in a big city like that is like you're gonna overhear some stuff. And you just gotta be cool about it. You gotta you gotta you gotta filter it appropriately. I can only imagine someone like listening to a podcast for the first time and, and like hearing the topic and be like, "Oh, those are my neighbors." Like, "Oh, that, that's that's what I just heard about the other day." Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, welcome to Little Lit, uh, the podcast where we read books sober and talk about them drunk. My name is Andrew Klima. Um, Danny Burford is unfortunately not here today. She had a personal emergency. Uh, love you, Danny. Um, uh, but we were already going to have a guest this week, so we're going ahead with just me doing this one. So let me introduce uh, Ryan Nanny, who is the co-host of the Shutdown Fullcast and anything else that you feel like promoting or talking about right now. <laughs> that's probably the main... Th yeah, let's just go with that. That's, that's the yeah. thing that really... Uh, will follow me much longer than I want it to. So the, the, the thing that will be a, won't adorn your tombstone, but will adorn the little wreaths that are placed mm -hmm. on it by yep. other people. Yep. Yeah, it'll yeah. be what like even if my tombstone says something else, people who come there will be like, "Oh yeah, the full cast did." <laughs> Loving father, husband, <laughs> son, podcaster. Yeah, you know the, the whole thing. Well. 
thank you so much for for being here. Thank obviously, um, now for this week, uh, this was your choice as far as a book, and and you had uh, "Lives of the Monster Dogs" by Kirsten Backus as the choice. Um, and I have to, of course, ask uh, why. What, what was what was what was the reason to choose this book? So, I, whenever I am in like a reading rut, I like to do a stupid thing where I pick a year from like the last mm-hmm. I don't know twenty or thirty or so, and I go back and I say like, okay, what did the New York Times or the American Libraries, like what did some group of fancy people say like were the best 50, 100 books of that year? Yeah. And I'll just sort of go through them and I'll say like, okay, I'm going to read that one or I'm going to, you know, buy this one to read later. And I do this because I like sort of look, I I don't necessarily want to just see like what is everybody reading right now like what are the things that are people are talking about right now sure and it's kind of interesting in this case this this book i think was published in 1997 if memory serves yep it's interesting to look back at like a a compilation like that and be like what do what did like knowledgeable uh people think was like the shit in 1997, <laughs> and this 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 book leapt out at me, a because of the title, b because of the concept, mm-hmm. and c because it was like, it is a simultaneously a book that seems to at the time, got a lot of accolades and was like very celebrated, and like I have not heard of it. Yeah, in the intervening, same. Like it is not a thing that I've heard people talk about. It is not a hurt book that I've like had recommended to me. It was just like out of nowhere to me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and and to be honest, your process is not like super dissimilar from like how we decide books on here because like we will every three months or so we'll do kind of like a quarter year planning session and um, sometimes we'll take advice from or like, recommendations from people that are li- that are listening. Sometimes we will, um, you know. Uh, like my mom one, 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 and uh, Danny's dad one time, we did like a Mother's Day, Father's Day thing mm-hmm. where they recommended books. Um, but mostly we're just kind of like looking around and trying to find stuff that, that, that we think is interesting, which is, and we pay more attention to things that have been adapted because obviously that draws more people in than something that's just random. Yep. But that's how you end up with like, do androids dream of electric sheep one day? And then like, <laughs> The Memory Police by Yoko Ogawa, which is a 1994 like Japanese language existential 1984 book um like like, and 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 then like tomorrow 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 and tomorrow and tomorrow which we just did which is but which was like a like goodreads choice of the year book and shit like that so this fits in perfectly is what i'm saying with the overall scheme of how of how we operate um for anyone anyone possibly who doesn't know what this book is uh i'll do a quick summation of it before we get into discussing it um this is a story about a group of let's call them like island of dr moreau type uh, genetically adjusted dogs who can think and who can speak and have uh, ha- like uh, surgical hands like gra- or have hands surgically grafted onto them and they rebel against their master who their masters happen to live in a remote canadian town and then and then basically become the uh the the talk of Manhattan socialites uh, when, when they move to the city and, and take up residence there. Um, that doesn't quite tell us everything <laughs> about the story. <laughs> so, uh, but like what, what we might as well get into it as far as that goes. Um, after having 
after finding this book, after thinking about you know reading it for a minute, um, did you like it once you did? Yes, um, it was. I I liked it because I think it strikes a good balance between like building out its world mm-hmm. and making it feel lived in and real and all of those things, but not over explaining not yes. sort of like there's a lot that you're sort of like left to sort of either not know or piece together on your own yeah. and I, I i i liked that it in many ways there like frankenstein is the source material for this in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and that's fine that's true of you know a ton of edward scissorhands like you know there's there's a lot of ip that is based yeah. on mary shelley's work but this departs from it in a number of interesting and unexpected directions that make it like, I think a good evolution or a good riff on the theme rather than just like, Oh, this is Frankenstein, but it's a dog. Yeah. Or like reimagined for like the 20th century or 21st century or something like that. And you're absolutely right. Because like you don't get the kind of, um, uh, uproar from humanity about the monster's creations. It's it's in fact like a much more like oh, okay, like they're like and and almost like and this is and I think I think unreality is kind of a theme that comes through in this book a decent amount uh, of the time, which is and it comes up here where Manhattanites or New Yorkers in large, even people in the world at large, almost get the sense that these people aren't or these monster dogs aren't real. Like that, yes. they, that, they, that, that they that they or or sure they exist, but like they don't really matter to me or my daily life or to anything. It's not it's not like aliens coming to coming to Earth and all of a sudden everything changes because everything is different. Um, it's just like oh cool, there's some weird people that are living in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Never happened before. Mm-hmm. All right, right, <laughs> we'll, right. We'll move on. It's like they exist, but it's probably a hoax. Or <laughs> yes. they exist, but there's something else we don't know. Or yeah. They won't be here. Yeah, it, it is like a – there's a tenuous quality to it, which is really yeah. interesting. Yeah. No, I fully agree. And, I, I, and, and, it, and it works as well in terms of that kind of in-between nature, like you're saying. It's not a book that's all about the hubris of man or – I mean, there, there's, there's some of these elements, yep. but don't get me wrong. But like, the, it doesn't hit some of the same moralistic ideas as you get from uh, – Mary Shelley, Frankenstein, or again, I mentioned earlier, Doc, Island of Dr. Moreau or something like that. Um, and instead, it's like a meditation on life and death and um, remembrance and... Um, Communal existence. Yes, yeah. uh, because we're talking about essentially a species that will, that will leave the earth once, once, these, last, once these dogs go. Um, and man, I just love thinking about all those things. So thank you so much for that. That's, it's, it's really great to be kept up at night by a bunch of monster dogs. It's right. fantastic. Right. It's good, that, it's good that this book about monster dogs is like, oh, cool. What does history mean? And how do we even grapple with it? Yeah, you're like, oh, I'm going to see some, some, some dogs that have hands. And then you're like, well, I mean, I could die tomorrow. It wouldn't right. fucking matter. So sure. <laughs> because, because like, so the, and this... I should mildly explain. Like these are uh, dogs that, that that they cannot propagate their species. There is no, there are no children being born. Uh, there's no pups being born, um, and even if they were, they have no idea if they would retain some of the uh, mental abilities. Uh, they definitely don't have the uh, ability to add, to add the prosthetics because all the technology was lost when they rebelled against their masters and burned their town and everything. Um, and so it's not just. And and it would be plenty to be like, oh, hey, we're dying, and we're and and we, and we might go insane before we die, um, and then like 
deuces, but instead there's also this element of like, and then nothing like this is ever going to happen again. Right. And it's it's the kind of thing that that gets your gears spinning a little bit where you're like, well, yes, I have also thought about my own mortality and death. And then I'm like, well, yeah, like everything I know in geologic terms is probably going to be gone in, you know, 0.1% of the time that Earth will have existed. So, yeah, that's great. Love, love sitting with those ideas in my head. The dogs are, are – what's, what's interesting about the dogs is that because they – the story of their creation straddles like this huge time – in mm-hmm. human history and technological development. For sure. They are originally created to, or the intention of their creation is to become the perfect army, to have the ferocity mm-hmm. and viciousness of a dog, but to be able to use a weapon, follow commands, understand yeah. complex orders. Battle um, plans, yes, things like that. Yes, yeah. to be sort of like super soldiers. Almost. Yes. But by the time they, uh, by the time they show up, and by the time they're created, like they exist in a world where no military needs super dogs. No, like the the the, the nuclear bomb has been developed. We have all this advanced, you know, drone fighter jet technology and this that and the like. Yeah, it's they. So they are amazing creations that serve no purpose. They don't have any larger, like, or they they certainly don't. Um, fit the purpose for which they were originally created. Exactly. Is. Yeah, they they are they're marvels of technology that are instantly obsolete yes. as soon as as soon as they are created, which is wild because as you said like the um the, the initial part of the story takes place in what the late late 1800s, yes, right? Yeah. Um and like Prussia and um and, and then like the scientist August, Augustus Rank who we will get into in a minute, um he cannot finish his work before he dies and so he passes it on to to his followers and they eventually carry out his wishes but by then it's the 1980s i believe yeah um, something like that and so as you're saying like oh you we put him into reagan's united states or well canada technically but uh <laughs> and, and they are they are not quite the um uh the difference makers uh right. that, that they would that they would have been back right. back then um it's <laughs> It's it's very it's also very interesting because um, like the Augustus Rank stuff and this and this book is divided up into three pieces. It's um, the first uh, third roughly is about both the dogs in. Well, actually, I should I should do this first. Um, the the framing device for this story also is, very Frankenstein-y. Yeah. <laughs> yes, so it's so it's based on um, one uh, New Yorker who was close with the dogs and you and you find out over the story how close exactly. Um, and she is compiling kind of a history of the monster dogs, and she is using some of the notes of one of the dogs, uh, Ludwig's uh, research, because he was the historian who was trying to figure out um, everything about like their existence, about what, what, what Augustus Rank was like, what their creator was like, or their initial creator and everything like that. And so there's a lot of um, back and forth, like modern day uh, pa- past uh, journal entries from Ludwig, journal entries from Augustus, um, uh, stories from Cleo, both that she wrote and as well as what she's writing after the fact. Um, and so there's a lot of jumping around. Did you find it disorienting at all or was it like, did it still kind of attract? No, I think it's like, it's all signposted cleanly enough yeah. and it it doesn't, uh, it stays in one place long enough that it wasn't jarring to sort of be like, oh, we're, we're like, way you know we're moving hundreds of years at a time or anything like that 
Yeah, I, I, I felt the same way as far as that. Like, I, I was I was of the impression, or of the opinion, I should say, that it didn't really break up the story. It, it flowed. It basically, every every chapter might be something new, or even within the chapters, but it all served the purpose of an ongoing story, mm-hmm. so it didn't really feel like you were time lost or, or anything like that. Um, and the first, so the first third is about Augustus Rank, their, 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 their initial conceiver and creator. Uh, the second is about the revolution that, uh, leads to their freedom um, and eventually move to New York. And then the third is about kind of their final goals in New York and the final their final days in New York. Um, that first third with Augustus Rank, like, that would have been an entire Marvel movie by itself. <laughs> like, 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 like the Captain America, the first Avenger, but, yes. like, for the first dog, like, monster dogs. Like, because you said before that you're right. It doesn't really revel in its world building that much. It, it gets it, – it gives you enough, but it doesn't – it doesn't give you full exposition into everything that's been going on. Just what you need to understand the story. Um, and I really appreciated that because you could have made this like so much more like pulpy sci-fi or, or even within the bounds of what she's trying to do, have like made the mistake of over-explaining and really indulging like the need to put everything, all of her ideas into it as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and it works... It works because one of the themes of the book is the notion of history being a thing that is impossible to grapple with from the present's perspective because mm-hmm. more or less you're operating off of source materials that aren't necessarily the things that mattered or told you the most about like what it was yes. actually like to live in a certain time. Yes. Um, and as a result... When Ludwig is compiling all this material from Augustus's life, he he says like there are huge holes. There are periods mm-hmm. where it's just like he doesn't journal for ten years, or he'll just like he'll mention this thing and then it's not mentioned again. And there is like a metaffective quality to it, where you're sort of like telling the reader at the same time like yeah. I'm leaving things out, but I'm providing sort of an in. It's not because I forgot. It's not because I'm lazy. <laughs> like there's an in-world reason for it. Yeah. And ultimately, I think that that adds that adds some both some realism and it sort of reinforces it reinforces the the underlying narrative of like trying to uh, it, getting to the point where you're like, I will have a perfect understanding of people who came before me is an impossible journey. Yes. And and it is for every character in this book. <laughs> There's this like there was something that was going around Twitter. I mean, maybe it was just like what I, what I saw at one point, but it was something I believe that Norm Macdonald said about when he, when he was writing like his book, and he was talking about how like the facts of someone's life are the most uninteresting parts of their life, right? Because like that's that's a wiki page. That's something that anyone could just like. And he and he was saying how he got so annoyed when people would ask him about like stuff in interviews. That's like you can just look that up, man. Like you can mm-hmm. you, like. The, he's like the in between spaces of these things are what matter so so much, and you you don't get that from looking at, at a sheet of facts, and you don't get that when your source material for the past is a a mad scientist, so to speak, who not only is incomplete but self edits and mm-hmm. does and and, and 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 probably as Ludwig mentions like has taken out some references that he ma- that he made along the way uh, to to make sure that. Like he's not. He's giving a curated portion of his yes, life too. It's yes. not like you're just getting a window into his world, uh, um, free of all kinds of other trappings. And you're and, only and like getting intense. his person. Like there's mm. no with with one exception. Yes. There's no. There's no other material in there that's like. Here's what other people thought of this person. And that one thing, 
Whew, he comes <laughs> off looking great, doesn't he? Yes. Just, just, just yes. fantastic. Yes. So he's an absolute monster, uh, and and the um like it, it starts off very um traditionally, I would say. Like it, it's you know a kid who experimented with animals and like grafting on. Like first it was just like death and. Uh, maybe not torture but at least like in curiosity about like how things worked mm-hmm. and uh, and completely morally uh unconcerned with like the the, the consequences yep. of that yep. and then he gets to the point where he's you know uh, a student and he's he's rising in the world and he's very he's becoming more and more important and he turns into this like so and his, and his like stepbrother comes to town and his stepbrother is like the biggest jock you've ever seen, like, the, but, but like, but like a well-meaning bro, right. not like an asshole or right. something like that. Just right. like the guys, that, like, uh, you know, the guys at a frat party that you're like, yeah, okay, I could fuck with you for like on <laughs> on nights. Yeah, no, no worries, that's cool. Um, and and then he and he goes straight um, uh, sociopath after that. Yes. Like he 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 murders his step murders stepbrother. His Did stepbrother. you see any of that coming, or were you or were you just like, oh, I guess we're here now? I mean. I, I guess it may when you know where we end up because yeah. before that you know that he ends up leading this like incredibly secretive isolated colony of mm-hmm. researchers mm-hmm. in Canada solely for the purpose of building the monster dogs like it all makes sense with that endpoint in mind yes yes um but as it happens it is very it's still bonkers as it happens it's still like <laughs> How are because, and again, it's because it's all from his perspective. Like, it's like anytime you hear a psych, someone, a psychopath or a sociopath, be like, "Yeah, this is this is the logical procession that led me to, to this place where I yeah. did this horrible thing, and it was totally fine." Yeah, and, and in their in their minds, like, yeah, like like what 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 else would I have done right, here? It's right. like what, what other choice could I possibly right. have made? It's like. Right. I've got a couple here that we can maybe go through. Uh, but you're absolutely right. As far as the, um, like, this is no surprise that he ends up being like a really bad guy or, or, or that he like flips all of a sudden or anything like that, because like no one reads the journal of a, isolated scientist creating monster dogs like i bet this dude is awesome like, <laughs> i bet he's got a soulful poetic side so if we're if we're gonna use the the, the the captain america thing he's not stanley tucci you know what i mean he's like he's, he's i mean no one can be but right still. right uh, right so like so it was but it was still like a bit of a turn where you're like oh shit okay this is this is so this is how this happened yes. all right um and then if we are at least gonna like kind of cap off this portion of it because the the interesting thing is like that the more captivating part of this book, at least for me, was you know the dogs living lives in Manhattan and not their and not and not like the conditions that created them or or even really the revolution. Although it was kind of important to know, I guess more or less how it happened. But um, to kind of cap this part of it off, uh, they they do in fact make this uh, jump to Canada from Prussia, as you were saying. Uh, they it's it, it's he's basically fleeing the eventual Kaiser. Kaiser, I yeah. I was gonna Kaiser. say, is it, is it yeah. Kaiser, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and continuing his, his research in somewhere that no one will ever find him. And then when he dies and, and he kills himself before he, um, I assume like early onset dementia, Alzheimer's, something right. like that. He, um, he instills like a kind of loyalty and, and, and sense of purpose with his followers that like, if we were going to go exposition, like that's like the one thing I wouldn't hate hearing more about, because I am curious how. Like, how do you perpetuate um, a town living in isolation for a century based on your, like, your will or your vision? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
this is also where the uh, I, and I guess maybe this is where the book sort of decides like if we're going to create the events that we've created the only honest answer is no answer because yes. in the course of the in the course of the uprising the dogs make it their mission to and they're very explicit about this to kill every human children babies mm-hmm. m- innocents who have yeah. never like you know beaten them or experimented on them it's just like it is wholesale eradication of the humans of their of rank stat the place yeah. where they live and effectively they loot and sack the place too they the plan is not we're going to stay here and thrive where like they're yeah. just they're they're trying to erase this place from the earth and i guess once you do that you've sort of committed to we will not have that perspective. We will not have the mm-hmm. the the person who's like, I was born, I was born here, and I lived my whole life here, and here's what I think about it. Um, but it it is fascinating because like there is nothing about Augustus that suggests like, oh, he's he's got that. Well, no, I, I, I let me let me amend that. There's very little about it that makes him seem like, oh, he's captivating and he can do that mm. cult of personality thing, except his singularity of purpose and focus. Yes, and exactly. like that is a thing that I understand why to some people that in and of itself is enough to be like, yep, I, identify, yeah. I, I admire that and I want to like help make that vision a reality. Yeah, I think that's very fair because he's not like he, he as you said, like he's not like the most charismatic right. man, and, and and he and he's certainly not even the most like he doesn't inspire loyalty exactly from some kind of like personal connection where mm-hmm. like all right he's a shithead but 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 by God that man can surge him or something <laughs> right, like that right you know? right it, it, it's it's still it is really like I I think it's more like force of personality than cult of personality but that that might be drawing too fine a line but I guess you get what I'm going for yeah, there yeah. Um, and it's also very interesting that the only uh, the only insight we have into what actually happened during the rebellion um, is my favorite thing from this book, which is a dog opera. Uh, <laughs> there, when they are in Manhattan, they stage an opera. Uh, or sorry, was, was there a more technical term for this? It was I called a libretto, opera. but I okay. think that just means like it's a sh- an abridged version of an opera. It's not uh, as long as an opera. Okay, fair enough. All right. I'm I'm sticking with dog opera in that yeah. case because I enjoy it. I enjoy it too much. Um, but so they, they 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 staged an opera to tell the story the, the story of what happened, and you get the sense that it is both honest and perhaps a little. Uh, it doesn't really hide that what they're doing that much. I guess it just gives it like noble more noble purpose, I suppose. Um, because the, because they do show the tension between some people. Uh, Lydia is a is a monster dog that will come into the story um, in a, in a bit that um, is more pacifist and, and, and against like the kind of mindless uh, rebellion that would lead to the deaths of everyone. But mm-hmm. uh, the, town, the town is raised and the monster dogs venture into the world. And after some time of planning, this is, like, this is when the book starts, but also you don't feel, find a lot of this backstory until you know, halfway, two-thirds of the way through the book. Right. So um, Then they come to New York. <laughs> and I am trying to think about what it would be like in reality because – it is very easy to not—I don't care is not the right word, but like not really get overly invested or involved in something that's happening so remote from remotely from you. Even if you're living in Manhattan, because these are people that are living in like the the lap of luxury. They're they're essentially you know the high the upper crust of society for dogs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so the other thing I don't know that we've said explicitly here mm-hmm. the. 
the place where Augustus Rank takes his followers and yes. has them live is so isolated from modern society. And yes, so, yes, so that yes, is, it is effectively trapped in 1880s Prussia. Like, yeah. they all dress that way. They, mm-hmm. like, with the exception of the scientific work they're doing on the dogs, they, like, farm and trade and, like, it, yep. it, it's entirely trapped in time. And the dogs mimic that in a lot of ways and mm-hmm. in their speech patterns and in their clothes and um, in their their manners and things like that so i guess i guess what makes it believable that like one day there's a helicopter that sets down and out walks a dog that has hands and is dressed in clothes and the press reports on it and it's dressed in this like old-time fanciful way mm-hmm. it's just so many la- layers of yes. nonsense that i exactly. think you're just like well sure why wouldn't that happen have, have you ever seen the Simpsons uh, bit where um, Mr. Burns' uh, doctor is talking to him, and he, he and he's basically being in, he has so many diseases that they cannot possibly <laughs> all fit through and That's actually right. affect him. They're That's basically right. all blocking yes. each other. Yeah. So this is how I feel about the dogs. Yes. Like, yeah. It is so weird in so many different layered yeah. ways that you never are like, now hold on yeah. a second, yeah. or, or or you start to freak out as at, at this like incredibly wild like scientific advance that we yeah. now that we now have learned. You're, you, you mostly just kind of like, all right, there's dogs. Uh-huh. They can speak. Yep. They've got prosthetic hands. Yep. They, um, they're they rich. They're yeah. rich dogs. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they also speak German. Yep. Um, and they are dressed like military officers from the 1880s. From Prussia. Prussia. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, it's... So in the book, there it's sort of implied, maybe more than implied, that like... New York is a place they picked in in part because it's, you know, a city of immigrants and things yeah. like that. Which is an interesting point I want to get to in a second, but yes, go for it, please. I think I think what makes it work in New York is that New York is already full of crazy bullshit. <laughs> yes. And like I thinking back, I'm like, well yeah, I have se- I have been on the subway and seen somebody open up uh, a briefcase and pull out a rabbit. <laughs> just a live rabbit they just had with them. I have seen people get on a subway with live fish flopping around in a shopping mm-hmm. bag. Like yep. you, like you, I, I, I really do think New Yorkers are accustomed to compartmentalizing the nonsense that they are dealing with in close quarters on such a regular basis that as long as the dogs aren't bothering anyone, which they're very <laughs> careful not to. To the contrary, they're like kind of delightful. Yep. I think if this happened in real life, this is more or less ha- like obviously it would be a little more uh, fragmented than the way it's presented here. Yes. But uh, yeah, I think most New Yorkers would sort of like fall somewhere between this is a hoax mm. and this is real, but I think it's amazing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, you, you have like the people waiting, waiting for the the alien ships and Independence Day, yes. being like, "All right, our, yes. our, our new our new monster dogs are here. Right. This is fantastic! Right, yeah. right. I want to like, meet one." <laughs> and in a, in a slightly different, like you know, tone of this kind of story, you'd have you know. Uh, the military trying to figure out the, their technological secrets yep. or something like that, yep. but like, but honestly, like the the, the threat of um, like analysis and dissection and, and and things like that is a very like uh, remote one in the story. It's used at points for like maybe justification, but there's not there. 
that trope or at least that side of this kind of story just really isn't dealt with that much. Yeah, and... yeah. It, it is used to explain why why the dogs are sort of not going to continue on because they are mm-hmm. they are not interested in becoming research subjects again. Yes, they exactly. don't want to let human scientists start to mess with them, even if they can, you know, potentially help. Um, but I think it also goes back to one of the earlier things I said, which is that they are a technological marvel that has no, like, obvious utility Yes, yes. beyond it's interesting. Like, the other thing that, that, that is really effective in this book is it's a world where regular dogs still exist. It's <laughs> yes. not just monster dogs. Are one of the protagonists has just like a German shepherd whose yeah. name is Rufus that she just <laughs> has to. And in the way that, you know, people are dog owners, she's like, oh, I have to go home to take him out. I have to walk him. But also doesn't want to like mention that that often in right. case the dogs might take offense right. to it too. Right. Yeah. Right. It's, like, right. it's like, it's, it's, it's like, well, yeah, where you're seeing, you're, you're, you're you're visiting another culture. Like, yeah. I don't really know how to handle this topic. I want to make sure I don't offend anyone. Yeah. And yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. It, it, it is, <laughs> it's not a world where all dogs have been transformed into monster dogs. And it's also not a, a world where those monster dogs have rocket launchers for their right. hands right. or something like right. that. Right. It, they are just, they are interesting. They are very interesting. And, and from a scientific aspect, I think anyone would, would be curious about them regardless. However, they are not like, the next evolution in warfare no. that like the, the military needs to understand right now. And there's now. no sort of like clamoring for people who people who own dog 1.0 to be like, oh, I would like to upgrade my <laughs> yeah. dog in the way that you are. I would like to trade my dog in for a modern model, <laughs> a, a model of, of the monster variety. Yeah, right. Um, uh, you lived in New York, right? Yeah, for like uh, fourteen years. Uh, okay, that's why I was gonna ask. So you, so you've seen some. You, you have definitely seen some shit. Because I, I have like I've been going to New York since I was a kid. Because my um my cousin grew up in um Windsor Terrace in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. which now is a very nice neighborhood. Yeah. Eighties, nineties, like sure. eh. yeah. And um, I've seen some stuff as well, but like not the kind of stuff that you get used to from like. A decade plus of living there, yeah. obviously. Yeah. So <laughs> I, was, I was because my and my other favorite ref- reference for this, and this is going to sound weird, but this is this comes back to the immigrants thing. Um, there's a comic book called Fables. Did you ever read by any no. chance? So it was. Uh, I came out, I believe, and I think it started in the 2000s. Um, I'm not sure exactly when. Um, Bill Willingham. Willingham. Um, anyways, it is about um fairy tale characters um and i believe all of them are now uh for use or non-copyrighted yeah. so they can be used in these stories um who have who have escaped from their homeland or who have, who have been driven from their homelands by a mysterious like adversary and they all end up in new york mm-hmm. and this is uh kind of that I, this idea of uh, new york as, an, as a city of immigrants and a city of monster dog immigrants uh really, really reminded me of this because you get this um this fantastic group of people like not just people that are like oh hey we are we are immigrants and, and this is you know and this this is a a fairly common theme in stories about new york or stories that involve new york yeah city of immigrants like not taking anything away from it obviously but it but it is very you know, like commonly used um but both in fables where you have these like you know uh, Rose Red and the Big Bad Wolf mm-hmm. and characters like that that make their way there, and now you have monster dogs, and it's like there's there's some attempt at uh, concealment or at least separation, but for the most part, it's like this is the kind of city where if we mm-hmm. were to go unnoticed, everyone would be pretty okay with it. Well, uh, the other thing that bears mentioning, 
the dogs are, the dogs are rich like part yes, of why the dogs of course, are of course. the dogs have this like pretty stress-free existence in New York is because they're loaded they they yeah. are loaded and they are interesting yes. and like if there are two things that you could be and live a almost untouched life in New York. It's those two things. <laughs> you're oh, you're you're an eccentric billionaire. Yeah, oh, that's, yeah, that, oh, right. yeah, sure, no problem. Right, right. It doesn't matter that you're a dog with a mechanical voice box, who 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 dresses like uh you know a soldier from a hundred years ago. No, because people are getting paid. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you're you're not. You're not on the subway with a monster dog right. who is who who is breakdancing for change. Right. Like you, 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 right. they, they they are they are looking down at you as in like all right, all 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 all, all of you people can keep scurrying around the city. I right. am here in my uh, very nice Manhattan apartment. I think there's <laughs> there's someone more saying at the Four Seasons or something like that. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So yes, you're absolutely right. Like there, there's there's a sense of removal that adds to the unreality. Mm-hmm. That um, be, I, I think that. This is intentionally created, of course, by Bacchus. But like, this is this is the perfect storm of now you can just tell this story. Yes, right. And so that so then we get into um, the main character, who is Cleo, and she is the someone who, in the story early on, introduces herself as like a friend of the monster dogs, or at the very least, someone who knew them well, and a friend of Ludwig, who was the historian. And so she's trying to compile her note, his notes and her own thoughts to tell the, the tale of the monster dogs after they have gone. And so you know that there's an end of some kind from the very beginning of this book. You're just not sure how it all transpires. And she is a college student when this all starts. And yeah, she she's just like kinda, in grad school, I think. Yeah, yeah grad school, yeah. absolutely right. Um, and she, just, and she, she happens to make the acquaintance of Ludwig, and then uh, – that draws her into the circle of the dogs, and then she meets Clow, who is kind of like the um, the face of, of the dogs, let's say. Uh, and and then she gets this opportunity because she is trusted by a couple of dogs to um, be the one who writes about them. And given she's basically an access journalist at this mm-hmm. point, um, yeah. and she's fairly aware of the tenuous nature of her position, but she's also not being asked to do propaganda out and out or anything like that uh there's always something kind of there especially from claw because you know she doesn't really trust him fully but she's you know she, she's our window into the in, into the monster dogs um how did you feel about her as a character because in, in a lot of in a lot of ways she could just be a vehicle for the story um and in some cases that would be fine too like that could be the intention there would be no critique um but i think she's supposed to have something of her own to bring here like did you did you feel like like that as well or do you think that she was just kind of like oh hey you're the narrator it took it took me a little while to get there but Mm -hmm. eventually i liked that what i think this character one of the purposes this character ends up serving is to show the common uh humanity is the wrong word but the common (laughs) sort of like psychology or existential dread or Mm -hmm. emotion that all of the characters, dog, monster dog or human, have in common. And 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 I think that was very well done because because it takes a while to get there. Because yeah. a lot of the book and a lot of why I think Cleo is a necessary narrative tool and thematic tool is the dogs telling her in very direct terms, like, you don't understand what it yeah. is like to be us. You don't understand what it's like to be a dog who has been flowers for Algernon. Like you don't, you, you don't understand that experience whatsoever. 
and you don't understand what it's like to be part of a species that seems inevitably destined to just disappear. Yeah. And she fights back against both of those things. But I think I was reflecting on it today. And I think like part of why Cleo has such a big narrative presence in the book is because that's also the author and the audience's way of grappling with those truths that you can think about. You can try to empathize with like, what must it like to be a monster dog in New York city? But it is such a unique and strange phenomenon that there is no way to actually get into that brain space. There is no way to actually get to a point of meaningful empathy with that peculiar situation. Yeah, because not only like not only are they monster dogs, not only are they weird time displaced uh, monster dogs to a degree, but they're also, as you mentioned, like rich. They don't have the some of the the troubles that you might have. Um, that a normal person might have yeah. getting access to them. Now, if you took if you told this story, um, and it was all in Rankstad, let's say, let's yeah. say they, they rebelled and they killed all the humans, but they stayed. They didn't raise the place to the ground. They preserved some of the technology, whatever it was. Um, then I think that you wouldn't need a human character necessarily to get into them because everything would be monster dog, and yep. and, the, and, the, and, the, and the pathos and the and so much of that would would still come through. But because they're living in a human world. And because that makes them unrealistic to a degree, not just by their nature, but their situation, mm-hmm. then you do need kind of an in. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, I, and I think that Cleo serves that function. Yeah, like you said, from the beginning, I think that she only becomes a little bit more of a character herself as she starts to butt up against what she is expecting the dogs to do as they react to their you know, possible and then inevitable downfall uh, versus like what they are actually doing. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting that you, you bring up access journalism because that is, that is the relationship that she has set mm-hmm. up with the, the committee of dogs, I think it's called. Yeah. <laughs> and it is presented it, that, that is sort of the, uh, the bait that, that is given to her. Yes. But, in reality, like, I think we only see her attend one dog meeting. Yep. And it is, like, very contentious and very, like, it's a thing that she's there. So the uh, even, it, there is something useful to that about even in the world of, quote, unquote, like, access journalism, that access is still strictly controlled. <laughs> yep. Every dog she, without exception, every dog that she talks to, has relationship with, builds trust with, like, they all withhold things. They all decide yeah. what they're going to tell her, what they're not going to tell her, and when. And so, and I like that because I think that feeds back into the sort of like contemplation of history and narrative. Because even Cleo, who is by all accounts the human with the most inside view of what mm-hmm. the monster dogs were like, has a lot of limited information. Like, yeah. there's a lot she does not know, was not told. And I think it's actually very effective to sort of like lump her in there and say like, no, this human is not the one person who has access to all the information. Like every other historian or journalist in this, it is a selective, limited uh, retelling. Do you think that the dogs withhold information because they don't want anyone to have it? Do you think it's like a, a like only for dogs type thing? Or do you think it's a... I don't want her to see us as this, or do you think it's like more strategic? Like I, I, they, I but they withhold it from each other too. Yeah, I, 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 I ultimately agree. I think it is 
one of the things that bonds them that 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 makes them human in their own way is that mm-hmm. and and I think it's sort of a reflection on with intelligence and with like the ability with the ability to speak comes the ability to withhold like yeah. once you once yeah. you can articulate thoughts you can also keep them you can also uh deceive you can also betray like mm-hmm. there is i think something something very meaningful about the idea of you know we built these so we built these monster dogs because dogs are loyal and dogs follow yeah, commands yes. very good point and it's like giving them intelligence sort of dissolves all of those things like loyalty and obedience are not a given once the monster dogs become the things that they are yeah, well, once once they're no longer just dogs, yes. because because th- those are defining characteristics of a dog, yes. not a monster dog. Yep. And yeah, I I, I think like I have a, I have a friend, a very good friend, who is um, the kind of person that doesn't want a lot of people to know things about him yep. because then it can be misinterpreted or um, or spread in ways that he can't control and not as if he's trying to do PR for himself it's more like hey if this person says this about uh, knows this about me and says it to someone else then this thing about my life no one like is not no longer under my control yep. Uh, yep. And, and I think that uh, Davey would make an excellent monster dog um, <laughs> and, and I think that uh, there is a there is something to, or there definitely is something to the idea of like controlling the extent to which you're going to let someone in, and, and it should be noted, Cleo, uh, unless unless her point of view is being skewed because it's her it's herself reporting, she is friends with a couple of these dogs, mm-hmm. like actual friends with yeah. a couple of these dogs, um, and at the very least on good terms with with a, with a wider uh, span of them than, than just that. Um, I think like Lydia, for example, is a fascinating uh, like character in this whole story because she is probably um, Cleo's best friend amongst the dogs, and there's but there's there's a, there's still space there for sure between yeah. the two between the two uh, beings. Well, in many ways, Lydia is maybe the most pivotal dog in the whole story, mm-hmm. but Lydia doesn't have a narrative. There yeah. is no structure yep. through which Lydia is telling the story. It's always somebody else relaying it. And that ultimately feels much more like, oh, that is a choice Lydia makes yes. rather than a choice the, the the other characters are making to exclude her, to not like give her the opportunity to be heard. And, and as well as well as the choice by the author too, like yeah. like ba- like Bacchus doesn't intentionally give Lydia. I mean, like if if she wanted to, obviously Lydia could have a POV section or or, or some notes or some interviews, let's yep. say, with Cleo or something yep. like that. And instead, you get everything from their day to day conversations that don't really give you any more insight as a reader than Lydia than sorry Cleo gets as a friend, yes, which I think is right. very which is very interesting. Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> the. Uh, the dog opera, is, <laughs> I'm going to come back to again, because it's important. Not just because I want to keep saying dog opera. Um, dog opera is probably the time at which they reveal the most of themselves to other, well, to humans. Uh, because because this, is, this is a premiere of this opera that not just dogs attend, but also people as well. Um, and is it... I mean, they, the dogs wrote it, so it's not mm-hmm. like it isn't probably sanitized to a degree and everything like that. Um, but there's a lot of worry 
or discussion, let's say, amongst the dogs about they weren't positive that this was the right thing to do because uh, they kill humans. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a very different thing than, hey, we are these weird eccentric dogs that happen to be living in New York City. Um, they are Some of them, at least, are, are very uncertain of how humans will receive them after they know that there has been interspecies uh, violence as well. Um, that still rings true, I think, right? Like, I, I think that at least that, that, that conversation does, because I, I can't think of a time that you'd be like, oh, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> this, this, this won't be a problem at all. Maybe if the monster dogs have lived 100 years into the future and you're, like, rewriting centuries-old past. Yeah. Like, we're talking 10 years or something like that. Yeah. The thing that's interesting to me about... One of the things that's interesting to me about the dog opera is so much of the monster dogs discussing violence and blood and sort of their animalistic quality is very um is very much like what a dog is and then they're sort of like they're they're direct they're like we are still dogs in some ways and even some of what they talk about and some of what uh lydia talks about her own personal experience with the uprising and her her role in it and this Mm -hmm. and the other is less about sort of like the opera is presented uh, in an almost Shakespearean way where it's sort of like everybody is making choices and mm. nothing, things don't really happen in the heat of the moment. Like you yeah. make a decision like I, now I'm going to kill you. Now you have offended my honor. Yeah. Now I don't agree with what you're doing. Now we're putting our swords down. Like it all proceeds with a level of conscious thought. Mm-hmm. But the way the dogs talk about their existence suggests to me that to the extent it has been sanitized, what was sanitized was the fact that they turned into, like, they went full dog in a lot of ways. Like, they just sort of leaned into bloodthirstiness, viciousness, things that are normal for a dog under certain circumstances to do. And it's interesting because that ultimately is the thing that I think they decided we can't, we don't want humans to know that. Humans are fine with us because we present on their terms. We wear clothes. We walk on two feet. We talk. We live in apartments. You know, we do. We awkwardly shake hands with our prosthetics. Right, right. But we do human things. And and I think the dogs rightfully understand that if humans got the sense that, like, oh, no, these are Mm -hmm. actually still wild animals that can do wild animal things. Yeah. That is where the perspective would shift, and that is where their their status in society would would potentially be lost. So there's um there's a, there's this is this is a very fucking wild segue. I fully acknowledge <laughs> there there is a uh, a school of thought in international relations theory called constructivism. Okay, and constructivism is basically um, a lens that which you 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 are supposed to use to see that um, all of these things that we have in our, in our world. Um, are not laws of nature. They are constructed. Um, if you want to take your car and drive it into a storefront or across a yellow line, blah, 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 there's no, there's no, there's no physical barrier of these things. These are choices because we've decided we have laws. We have laws that will govern the way we do traffic and blah, 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 and all these things. Um, my, constant, my, my, exa- my best example for it is always like if you're sitting on a toilet in a public stall and someone like, bangs on the door you're like oh someone's in here and then they start like pushing against it and then they start like like really trying to pull the door down and it's like but you're not supposed to do that Mm -hmm. like no shit like you're you're not but this is but this is 
this is something because it's something that you have like created for yourself as a way of governing yourself. And what I think that what happens with the dogs at a couple of points, um, they let Cleo see the ungoverned, unlawed nature of of their existence and the idea that um, if someone, I think I think it's Ludwig that makes a really interesting like short speech about it, where he says like like. I can't uh, defend a friend on nature of of, of honor uh, and, and and kill someone for, for for killing them. Yet you can uh, what use laws to evict people onto the streets, mm-hmm. prevent people you from can eating. Fight like wars. Do, you can, yep. yeah, you can conscript right. people to do those things as well. Like yep. you can do make them do it against their will. And so so why am I the the, the animal for for right. for doing for doing it this way instead? And I think that that is indeed something that would not be broadly taken very well but it's something that i i am not an anarchist in any way shape or form so i'm not saying this is in like oh yeah we should live like dogs <laughs> but but i do understand the idea of like an unregulated or at least a, a a world that is regulated by certain base principles as opposed to a lot of constructed principles sure like even the even the framework by which they are quote unquote going mad Mm-hmm. is not like that is a social construct that the dogs have created and that they have sort of borrowed from human society because what is actually happening mm-hmm. is they're just reverting to dogs. They're just yeah. like, basically what happens is they, their uh, super intelligence abandons them for stretches and they do shit dogs do. They chew on the furniture. They pee mm-hmm. inside. They get down on all fours. They... You know, um, they tear, tear the up their clothes yeah. and the carpet yeah. and things like that, and they don't they don't act like monster dogs. They just act like dogs. And I was just struck reading this, like, and it's framed as they're they're going insane, because mm. it, if if a human did that, yes, you would say like that person has lost control of their faculties. That person is no longer in their right mind. Yeah. But these are just dogs going back to being <laughs> dogs. Just dogs being dogs, baby. Right, dogs. and yeah. and most of them, the way it's sort of presented in the in the uh, in the narrative, nobody is. None of them are born monster dogs. You sort yes, of are yes. born and grown and developed and scienced into being a monster dog. So their reversion is really one to their natural state. Yeah. But it is to them it is terrifying. It is so terrifying that they begin like a communal suicide pact. <laughs> yes, it's the, wild. They have an execution committee towards yeah. the end that basically goes around and, and, and you have to, I believe, agree to. Yes, I don't, that's, I, I, that's that's what they say at least. Yeah, yes. ex- exactly, exactly. Yeah. Let's that, we can take that with a bit of a grain of salt at yeah. least. But um yeah, and and that's, and that's why before honestly, Flowers for Algonar was a, was a very good pull for this because it was it, it was the kind of um, it's losing something that you never knew you had, right? Um, as as opposed to like this is you and then it drops off, yeah, right? And and that was also important um, as far as like there's no next generations of dogs that were that were just genetically from birth. You know, monster dogs, Happy. or at least, yeah, right. at least, as, uh, at least on the levels of intelligence. Like, yeah. granted, like the, the prosthetics and some of the um, the walking on two legs and whatnot. That could be that has to be science based. However, you could have that intelligence passed down from generation to generation if you were writing the story that way. Right. But that, she is very clearly not, and yeah. that's totally fine. Yeah. Um, I have to ask, like, how? I'm still thinking about this myself. I don't have strong answers for it, but like, how do you feel about the last like 15, 20 odd pages or so? Maybe the last like couple chapters where they start to get into 
uh, more metaphysical type like the collective uh, unconscious almost yeah, yeah. exactly um it could, because because uh, to set it up for for anyone like and, and by the way if you're listening to this podcast you haven't read this book nice fucking job like, <laughs> I, I don't know what else to tell you uh this is this is why this podcast will never be as big as a movie podcast because like who the who, who the fuck is, the, is just like randomly tuning in for this um but um Towards the end of the story, um, Cleo and, and she shares this with Lydia, who also has a, had feelings like this, where they start to feel this kind of like interconnectedness, or this um, uh, she, like she's she's she gets glimpses into the lives of various like people at first, and I believe like other beings later Objects on as well. And, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. A- and a- and it because I, I forget what I think it might have been like an early review or a summary that I read that said something about how they're like. They're racing to find the the magical thing that will keep them as dogs or as monster dogs or whatever it was. And I thought, like, well, that's not, like, totally right. There's right. no real, like, weird, like, we're finding a cure for, 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 for us losing everything. Um, but this is a little bit of it, at least as far as, like, where I think that someone got that from to put it into a, into a review. Um, I don't know exactly what to make of it yet to be honest i'm still trying to kind of piece my way through it so that's why i had to ask so it's preceded by uh previous to this she has had ludwig she's tried to have him more or less institutionalized committed yeah uh he has um had a suicide attempt which uh he survived Mm -hmm. and has been in the hospital and he writes her a series of letters which are very like very hard to parse they're not they're not directly narrative in some ways Mm -hmm. and they are all about sort of the idea of the tension of they're like you said they're metaphysics they they're about the tension of like holding on to something traps you in the past not having something to hold on to leaves you unmoored in the future yeah it's I also don't know how I feel about it. I think it is. I I I will say what I liked about it is this is to the extent that this is a inspired by Frankenstein but departs from it. This is where it departs most most uh, rapidly and mm-hmm. aggressively, and I think it is. Here's I, I guess what I liked about it is that ultimately. What all of the major characters have in common in this book, including Augustus Rank, somehow, is this worry about, like, what will I be connected to in -hmm. the future? How will Mm -hmm. I still have some sort of connection to the world, community, the people I love? And there are a lot of different ways that that manifests in modern society, whether it's religion or technology or you know like legacy legacy like artistic legacy is a great example Mm -hmm. of it yeah and this is i think this novel's way of grappling with that in a very metaphysical way but like you know you talk about the norm the norm mcdonald thing made me remember it so much one of ludwig's letter last letters to cleo is like are you going to miss all the things about me that you don't even remember? Yes. And yes. that's, that's that like was, a that really, poetic, yeah, yeah. And that's like a really, it's, it's really interesting to think about. And, and there are a couple other places where the novel gets this idea that like, 
the things that make life vivid and that makes that make relationships have uh, real depth to them are not mm. the things that you could put on Wikipedia. They yeah. are all the in-between spaces, and and as a result, they are also the things that you do they disappear. They are sort of they're they are only there to be experienced, and then they're sort of lost, and they're just retained as a feeling, or as like a shadow of a memory or something. It's very beautiful, but it is very uh, existentially challenging. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, it, for me. It kind of gets to the idea of like, what, like, so like, I think I have a handle on like the, what she means, but then what is she trying to say with yeah. it exactly? Yeah. And that's the part I'm so kind of because what what you're saying is absolutely right. Like, like some of the absolute best times of my lives are, are things I can never remember, right. and it's not because I was drinking heavily during them. Although I'm not saying that was a part <laughs> of it, but like, I, I can still remember like when I first moved to Boston. Um, I was this is, I, I I spent the first like three years there in Brighton, which is um um to the west of the city. It's still technically part of the city, but the, the area of the city that has BC in it mm -hmm. um and and whatnot wasn't a super fan to be honest. Like I had I had a really strong group of friends uh like like ten ten twelve deep that we could easily just like have house parties with and shit like that. But I wasn't like connected to anyone in the neighborhood or I wasn't like putting down like roots so to speak. I was just kind of like there hanging with my friends. It was like you know mid twenties late twenties makes total sense, but um. I remember one time that I had some friends from college come to visit, and like we were just doing stuff, like meet, like seeing. They met some of my friends. We went out to like an IHOP for breakfast one day, and I lost credit card to roulette when I was broke. Um, <laughs> like, I, I, and but to be honest, like that's the only detail from that from that weekend I can remember. Yeah. I can remember uproariously laughing. Yeah. I can remember having some amazing, amazing times. But I don't have like the set list. You yeah. know what I mean? I don't. I don't have like the the, the full rundown of everything right. that happened. And like I. This is a hundred percent not to do some kind of like oh these damn kids today type thing, but like I think that the attempts to like document everything are more or less futile mm -hmm. because they don't get at the things that actually end up mattering to you. Like you, w when you know that you've talked to someone and had a good conversation, if you don't remember every step of that, it's still something that cements the fact that you had a good connection with someone and you want to keep talking to that person. Yeah. Person you met at a bar, person you went on a date with, whatever whatever it is. Like you don't have a rundown or a play-by-play, -play, but you still have a very strong impression of this person was cool. I want to keep hanging out with them. And that's, I mean, that is, that is, goes back to sort of like this novel's perspective on, history and how we grapple with it is that mm. like it's the same thing it's it hi, there's history with the capital h which is sort of like how do we understand the world and the people who've come through it and events but there's also history lowercase which is like my how do you grapple with your own life and like mm -hmm. there is so much that you have lived that you don't remember and that you don't is is lost to you but that isn't necessarily a negative? Well, no, it's because it's it's been synthesized. Yeah, like like, right. like you like you you have you have drawn out of your experiences what you need, um, and if you don't remember details, like then I mean, and of course there are some that are too big to not remember, yes, or, sure. or to, at least not to try to remember. Right. But for the most part, like your relatively mundane interactions, like you know, I can remember a handful of like actual like scripted conversations with close friends you know what i mean like and i'm not saying like every single one of them but there's there's certain aspects of it that that i'm just never going to get back but i've kind of like i, I naturally kind of come to terms with them just like oh yeah okay that that particular conversation i don't have the 
the the aim instant messenger log of or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, but but I don't need to because because I, I I've gotten what I needed out of it and I have my my impressions moving forward from it. And and to the extent that we do have like. This is, I think, the the interesting thing about the failures of historians or the limits of historians. Mm-hmm. To the extent that we do have our own personal documentaries and and mm-hmm. histories, I find when I look back at old photos or old videos or old emails or something like that, mm-hmm. I'm not looking at them for what they are necessarily to remember a thing. I'm looking at them to like recall a feeling or recall yes. a state of being. And that is the thing that is much more like the the simplest example of this is like sense memories you have where you smell something and you're like, that smells like my grandmother's kitchen mm-hmm. when I was seven years old. And it's not that you remember like, oh, this is what she had here. And this is like it's it's the feeling you are remembering. And, yeah. and I think that is what I think that is what ultimately Cleo is driving towards is sort of getting to a place where you can be comfortable losing things but not losing yourself as a result yeah because i I think it's i believe it's buddhism with the idea like attachments bring suffering right Mm -hmm. um that that, like and and, but this book this book like adds like a very slight twist to that which is if you are completely a uh divorced from any attachments then like why do you have a purpose going right, forward like right. what like what you you have to kind of like have something be willing to hand it off once it leaves yeah. but still take something from it and have it matter to you that is such an emotional like tightrope to yes, walk the, end right, of the whole way right, through right. which i mean is is not that weird to think about when you think about like human lives and everything like that. Um, it's just very interesting that she uses monster dogs to, right. uh, <laughs> to, right. to, to get at right. the whole point in the first right. place. Right. <laughs> um, did I guess as a kind of like a, a like a winded down question? Um, did you have any characters or like or or moments or something like that that really like you thought like oh this is either not necessarily someone i like but like this is the reason why this person's in the book like this is like like this is this is like the function that they bring and they bring it in a very good and strong way Interesting. um because like i, I if I, I can i've introduced a topic i'll happily like, like yeah, sure. I, I, I think those ludovic uh, letters are fantastic yep. i think they're i think they're beautiful i think they're a really well written and as a quick aside the prose in this book is very good uh, and i think why it's so good is because it is restrained Mm-hmm. Um, it Bacchus could clearly spread her wings a little more if she wanted to, and she does in certain points. She does, she does like the end ten certain chapters or sections or on particular topics. And there's a dog opera. <laughs> yes, <Yeah, laughs> so. said. Like she, like she, like she gets like she gets her money's worth. Don't get me wrong, but but if she wanted to, she could make this book like flowery prose and like yeah. lang- like like very um, intentionally evocative language, as opposed to like the ideas that she's trying to get at. I think the Ludwig letters, she really does kind of let some of that freak fly as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. Like she, she really gets into um, some things, some of the things that she wants to say, she's able to say through Ludwig, I think. And that is a really nice moment for me as far as like, this is why he's here. Mm-hmm. Like this is why he, that's why he's in this book, even though he's off screen, even though he is recuperating maybe. Yeah, um, right. and, and we're, and even by the end of the book, we're honestly not sure too. Right. Um, and I think that that is a good like, a distillation of his function mm-hmm. while not making it just like robotic. Yeah, um, I really liked all the interactions between Lydia and Cleo. 
Love those. Yes. I, I, the way the book proceeds, Lydia is kind of a, uh, it's kind of a sneak attack that Lydia becomes this mm-hmm. Im- very important character, both emotionally and uh, to the proceedings. And there are so many times where the Lydia and Cleo relationship embodies a lot of the themes that we're talking about, where like, it's not what they are saying. It is the feeling that they are having. It is, mm-hmm. And it is frequently like what they are not saying, like where where most of the where most of Cleo's relationships with the other dogs tend towards the transactional, either on her side yes. or their side, where Agreed. it's like we are here to get information or we are here to distribute something or we're trying to like accomplish something like the the giant the disney castle that they're building is like the pinnacle the literal pinnacle of this feeling but the lydia relationship is the one that not entirely but in most cases it, like doesn't go that way it mm-hmm. is it is it is so interesting because it's this human and this monster dog have this relationship that feels very lived in and feels yes. very like real and personal where they're not out having these like literary high water moments. They're just spending time together and enjoying one another's company. She's yeah. She's a, she goes over to Lydia's to, to hang out in her giant bathtub uh, on hot hot days in New York. She, she's uh, Cleo stays over there and writes and kind of reads some of her writing back to Lydia to get her not, not like to, not to run it past like an official censor for the the, the, the committee of dogs, but to just like ask her, Hey, what do you think think about about this? this? Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. There there is a very, um, (laughs) I almost said human uh, (laughs) 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 quality to their, to their relationship where it is not, um, uh, it's not drive well. It's not driving the plot forward in terms of like plot beats or anything yes, like right. that. It is instead just you know two beings uh, existing together in a very comfortable way, yeah, and yeah. that's a good way of looking at Lydia, I think, as well. Because I, I think in the end she was probably my. I don't. She was my favorite. I don't. Favorite's a weird word, but sure. I think I think she was the character that I was most interested by. Yeah. Um, and be, because there there was so much that was there that she was intentionally not showing, um, but. It's almost like the um, the absence was a presence in itself. If yes. that makes sense. Yes. Like you, like you under you understood that there was something that was not there, and you were okay that you didn't have it. Like you were aware that it was empty space, but you were, but like you didn't, you, you didn't. Uh, she wasn't fooling you by like guiding you around subjects that you that, that you didn't it, ever touch. It on. didn't feel like it was driven by deceit. It felt like yes. it was driven by choice. Yeah. Yeah. Dog choice. Monster. Monster dog choice. <laughs> Uh, I, I yeah, I, I think that this is uh, as good a time as any to, uh, to to wind this down. But um, I I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the dog opera one more time, just <laughs> because do. I feel like I, 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 I feel like I feel like I have to. Um, Mops Hacker, yeah. the uh, the 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 leader of the of of the revolution, the messianic um, figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 downtrodden dog of the of the town who who rises up to become uh, the, the, their great leader. Um, very interesting that outside of the opera, he's not spoken in these reverent tones. 
he's not like he's almost not spoken at all of it all. Exactly. He's yeah. he, like because like we're Americans. We were with like George Washington mm-hmm. and like you know all, all of the myths that you heard growing up from school, like not just like from random people, but yeah. from schools about you know him and Abraham Lincoln and uh, and and all of these like found, well not Lincoln was a founding father. You understand what I mean? Mm-hmm. But like a, a pivotal a pivotal figure in American history. Mops is just kind of. Not really there, and I I think it has to be because of the intentional transition away from like the violent past of the monster dogs, and both for self censorship for like interaction with human reasons, but also that they're just not really, they're not trying to make that their the, the end all be all of their lives. I guess like, yes. Like, yes. He 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 opened up a path rather than being the point himself. Yes, and. In some ways, they are like, uh, they are. The dogs are trying not to be defined by their past in a variety yes. of ways, externally, internally, whatever. I think there's also a real, and the the dog opera, just sort of does away with this in the way that operas and you know plays do by just sort of saying like, and at the end, there's unity. <laughs> yes. Um, but I think there is this sense of like, none of them. You don't get the sense that the dogs as a whole are like, yes, we did what was right and we believe in it. We would do it again. It is, there is something much more uh, ethically and emotionally gray about it where it's just mm-hmm. sort of like it happened and I've made my peace with it. Yeah. But I don't know that it was like the thing that we needed to do or should have done. Yes. It was defining, but it yes. wasn't, but, but, but it, but it wasn't like the purpose of our creation right. or, or right. even our, or even like what we, we became afterwards. Like, right. I, I think that because it, it, their society, such as it is, I guess, isn't even really like a reaction to, to Mops Hacker's revolution. It's more just like, uh, now. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. What now is a great way to put it because, because there's no, there's no intent afterwards being like, we have to be against this or right. we have to define ourselves by it going forward it's more it's more like okay now we have uh to use the words of the dog opera uh freedom like we right. we, we can we can do what we'd like to do well and part of that is that if they if the dogs decide we're going to identify with mops as our like founding figure yeah by definition they are also tying themselves to augustus because so much yes. of his mythology is that he has these visions and he has been told by the spirit of Augustus mm-hmm. rank that like, this is his purpose. This is what the dogs are supposed to do. And like they are, they would in many ways be shackling themselves to their history, which includes a lot of weird and dark shit. If they sort of leaned into it that heavily. Yeah. Better, better, better to make a, a clean break uh, from, from it as opposed right. to be like tied for, uh, right. to it forever. Right. And how do you do that? You go be a rich New Yorker and you can write your own story. Damn and it. you stage a dog opera. That's right. <laughs> <laughs>